Good morning again. All right, good. Lots of things going on uh, with life groups and the life of this church and foster care and, and so many other things that are going on. And so uh, thanks for hanging in there with us with the several different announcements. Uh, please, if you're interested in, in plugging in and finding relationships and community, let us know and, and we'll help you with that. Something that we talk quite a bit here at Rock Creek Church is taking the next step. It, it kind of is infused in everything that we really talk about, whether it's missions or life groups or serving or giving, whatever it is. Uh, we're always talking about taking the next uh, step. It's part of our mission statement. Here it is on the screen. We exist to equip every single person to take the next step in becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. We don't exist for any other reason. We, we don't exist to make sure that you have a blast. We don't make sure that your kids are well-fed. We don't exist to make sure that you, even though community groups do this, that you just have all of your friendships fulfilled. Our number one priority is to help you take steps in becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we worship. That's why we get together. That's why we have a men's group on uh, Friday mornings. That's why we do what we do. And it guides everything that we talk about as a leadership team, as the elders, as the staff, is we're constantly using that as our guide to how do we set priorities. But fundamentally, we, we want to ask the question, what are the next steps? In, in other words, how do we know if we're taking those steps to become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I just remembered the last announcement. There's a bake sale going on. There's tons of goodies out there. I knew there was one more thing. There's a bake sale going on, uh, and it fully supports our student ministries that are going to go serve in San Francisco at the end of this month. Yeah, today's March 1st. At the end of this month, so all of that helps us uh, buffer our plane fare going out there. So go be generous, uh, buy some food that's super unhealthy for you. Um, but there's also some gluten-free stuff out there. All right. Back. So how do we measure these things? And so this series uh, that we've called Next, or, or better, uh, uh, Taking the Next Step, is how do we measure that? If we're growing, if we're taking steps, how do we gauge that a little bit? Because sometimes, if we don't have a gauge, if we don't have some kind of measurement, then we don't really know. And so that's why companies spend all kinds of money on analytics, so that they can see if they're progressing. And we want to do that in regards to discipleship. And this morning we're talking about love. Love. Not mushy, gushy love like Hannah and Will, uh, but like love. You guys like Will there at the end of the video? Yeah, I love that guy. So we're talking about love, discipleship love, but let's identify one of the big elephants in the room. Loving others is hard. Can you raise your hand if you agree with that statement? Yeah, it's not always hard, but loving others can be hard, especially during election years, right? I mean, some of you have some pretty adamant beliefs, and I'm willing to bet everyone in your life doesn't think like you, and they're wrong, and you're right, and so it's hard to love others. It's hard to turn on the news and love someone. Hey, you know, the Bible doesn't say, love your neighbor if they're in your presence, 
it says love your neighbor, right? And so even when we turn on the news or, or we see a candidate and we go, I can't stand that person, we'll leave it gender neutral. I can't stand that person. Is that love? And so the question is, how do we do this even when it's hard? The Bible commands, if you have your Bibles, love for you to open those up or you can turn your Bibles on. There are several Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can grab one of those. We're going to be all over the place. We're going to hit tons of scripture this morning. Most of it's going to be on the screen. Don't feel like you have to keep up. Uh, but if you'd like to, uh, you can jot these down and even read them later. First John chapter 3, verse 11 says this, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. It's the message you've heard from the very, very beginning. We should love one another. Now, most of us, we will spend our time doing a lot of different things things that we deem to be important. For many of those uh, choices, they become raising children, family, friends, work, prayer, serving the poor, fighting for our rights, global warming, protesting injustices. And those things aren't bad, okay? Let's just have a, a general rule. Those things aren't bad things at all. But as the scripture reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, it says this, and if I donate all of my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, you can do all the right things in this world. You can raise your kids right. You can use echo organic green uh, toilet paper. You can recycle more than your neighbor. You can do all the right things, the Bible says. But if you don't have love, you're missing the mark. And so that's why we're talking about these next steps in our discipleship. We must get love right because it's the fundamental command for us. Even though we have the freedom to set our own priorities, to make our own decisions in life, Jesus made a point of defining certain priorities. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. It says this, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and the most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you've been around the church, if you've been around the Bible for any length of time, you've probably at least brushed through this scripture at one point or another. If you're new to the Bible and you're new to church and new to this whole Christianity thing, this is a fundamental passage. Why? Because it is the greatest commandment from the mouth of Jesus. Love, then, is not a gray area of scripture. It's not one of those areas where we look at the scripture and we go, I don't really know if I know what Jesus was really insinuating here. I, I don't know if he really meant love. It's clear. It's abundantly clear. Jesus gave love priority over all Christian virtues. Every single one of them. And that's hard because love is hard. But this is our next step. When we talk about uh, how do we equip you to take the next step in becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus, it begins right here to love. Every thought, 
every response, every word, every act of goodwill must first pass through the filter of love. It means nothing at all if it's not passed through love. It's just our words. But the question is, what makes love so important? Why would Jesus take love and go, this is the greatest to love others? This shows you are taking steps in your growth as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. This defines it. Why? When Jesus spoke to the disciples regarding the first and second greatest commands, he explained this. All of the law, this is from Matthew chapter 22, all of the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. In other words, everything else that follows in your life is dependent on these two commands. Your actions, your words, your demeanor, your outlook on life, how you get through good things and bad things, struggles in life and joys in life, they're all dependent on, on the foundation of love. Now, for the people of Israel, as well as many followers of Jesus today, it would make logical sense that obedience would hang on the law. Because why give a law if it's not going to be obeyed, right? I mean, you don't have municipal uh, boards that set speed limits and, and, and different laws in a city if they're not going to be obeyed. The expectation is obedience, not necessarily the heart. An officer doesn't really care if your heart is filled with joy and you're going 20 miles an hour. You can be as ornery as you want. Just go 20 miles an hour, right? You could pass a school bus and go, yeah, but my heart was right. And they go, perfect, sign here, press hard, three copies, right? And so the idea is not necessarily obedience. But for us, adherence to the law would make complete sense. Yet Jesus said this, I give you a new commandment, love one another just as I have loved you, you must also love one one another. John chapter 13, verse 34. The apostle Paul goes on in the book of Romans. If you have this, turn to this. Romans chapter 13. I'll wait for you to go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. I know it's going to be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open this. And if you're into highlighting, underlining, circling, putting a star in your Bible, just so you know, I'm very pro-writing in your Bible. Don't think that's sacrilegious. It's good to do so. Romans chapter 13, verse 10 says this, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of of the law. You ever heard this phrase? I did not come to abolish the law, but to, to fulfill the law. I didn't come to wipe away the law. I didn't come to, to, to grab an eraser and just erase everything that you have previously learned. I came to fulfill it. And my primary way, Jesus says, my primary way to fulfill the law is to love. We used this at Ash Wednesday, this last uh, Wednesday. We nailed sins to this. This cross, representation of the cross of Jesus, can bear the weight of our sin in love. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it in love. 
the way that you obey the law, the way that you adhere to the law is not to keep a, a notebook of, of the top uh, 450 laws that God wants of you. The way that you fulfill the law is you begin with love. That's where it begins. The logic of Paul's interpretation of Jesus' command that love fulfills the law seems simple. It kind of goes like this. If, if one loves his neighbor, he won't commit adultery with his neighbor's spouse. You with me? If, if one loves his or her co-worker, then you won't lie to your co-worker. If you love your enemy, you won't slander your enemy. You see, love, if love is the precursor to our life, then all of a sudden obedience begins to follow those things without even us focusing on obedience. It just becomes part of who we are. Why? Because Jesus becomes part of who we are. And then Jesus is lived out in our life. And so someone might go, well, what about all these laws? You call yourself a Christian. We got to follow all these things. Begins with love. Otherwise, it's just obedience for obedience sake, trying to attain what only the cross can give us. Love fulfills the law. Because if we truly love every person because he or she is, is a created being in God's image, then we desire not to hurt or violate that person, whether by word or by action or by condition of our heart. Thus, we don't break the law. In other words, God established love as the stimulus for obedience. Which is why the Bible says if you don't have love, you have nothing. There was a woman who, uh, her and her friend, uh, Alex and I and Miranda were uh, out taking staff pictures, which was the most horrendous thing ever because <laughs> Alex made us stare into the sun and burn our retinas. Uh, so we were taking pictures and this, this, uh, these two women pulled up and got out and approached us, and, and the first words out of her mouth was, who are you? And I said, I'm Brian, who are you? <laughs> so we began to have this conversation, and very quickly, uh, she began to break. This was on a Tuesday, uh, Tuesday morning, and she said, my son um, suddenly passed away on Friday. Uh, 28, I believe, ish, Miranda, 29. We stopped everything, and we said, let's talk. And so we just went into our, off, our little makeshift office there, and we just sat down on the couch. And for an, about an hour, she just poured out her heart on this uh, drug overdose and um, showed us pictures. And we did very little talking, and we did a lot of listening. Is anyone else melting in here? Good heavens. I'm hoping heaven is cooler than this. Um, so we just sat and we listened and we loved and we cried. 
and we set everything else aside, everything that we had that was important, we just set it aside. Because we're super Christian pastors? No. Because here was a person whose heart was absolutely broken in half and needed to be loved, needed to be encouraged. And so we paused to love. And she asked really hard questions about what, what is afterlife. Is my son in heaven? This happened, this happened, what are your thoughts? And some of those answers, I'll just be real quite frank with you, were not easy answers to give. And she's like, level with me. I asked you, I want to know. And so the reason why I share that is because love isn't necessarily giving what the other person wants or even needs. It's being truthful. It's being real. It's, it's being authentic. It's being transparent. But it's also pausing your world to care for and love another. And in that moment, we were the hands and feet of God to this very hurting woman. From the very beginning, God's plan was to develop a, a people that reflect his character. You are a result of God's greater plan to reveal his character in this world. And what is his character? It's love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says this, God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as he is in this world. We are the conduit for God to act, to love our neighbors, to love our coworkers, to love the person who is very pro fill in the blank. We love. That's what we do. Believers, if you would, are God's advertisement to this world. God advertises his character through you. Hopefully that's a very humbling and sober statement. You are what most of the world finds out about God. How you drive, how you talk, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you speak of others, how you speak of others who don't vote like you, how you speak of others who don't cheer on the same teams as you, how you act at parties, your criticalness your judgmentalness, everything. You are an advertisement for this world. I wish it weren't like this. That's why I don't have any Jesus bumper stickers on my car. I don't want the accountability. Alex, on the other hand, has like neon signs that point, I'm godly man, watch how I drive. Like he's better than me, although he got a ticket. <laughs> I didn't. Any of you have Christian stickers? On your car? Raise your hand. So, like this. You better wear that proudly in San Diego, brother. It's a different world. I don't even know where I'm going with that. Anybody else not have a Christian sticker because of that? Honest? Yeah, look at all these hands, you sinners. Awesome. Because of your husband? Yeah, yeah that's another sin right there. <laughs> Throwing your husband under the bus. 
You want to know something, especially you high school students or you college students or even you young adults? You know the best apologetics you can have is not all of the answers, it's love. That is the, that is the first place if you go onto a college campus, before anybody cares what you have to say, they're going to want to know if you have love. They might not phrase it that way, but that's what humanity is looking for. Because the opposite is true. All of us can walk around the world and we can identify jerks immediately. It's the same thing with love. We can identify love. When Ira Gillett in the early 1900s, a, a missionary in East Africa, retur returned home to report on the activities on the mission field, uh, he had noticed how groups of East Africans would walk past government hospitals and, and as they passed those hospitals would travel several miles on foot to go to missionary hospitals, providing the exact same care. And he finally stopped and he asked a particular group, why would you walk the extra distance passing government hospitals and walk all the way on foot, putting your body in agony and go to a missionary hospital. And this is how they replied. The medicines may be the same, but the hands are different. The medicine might be the same, but the hands who deliver it, the person, the smile, the comfort, the care, that's different. Friends, that's the virtue of love incarnated, is it's different. The, one of the best things, most of the time, that could be said of a Christian is there's just something different about you. Now, if you're an odd duck, that doesn't count. But if it's because you're kind and loving and accepting and listening and soft and gentle and receiving and, and not combative, and they go, man, there's just something different about you. That is the greatest compliment because it's love. And it begins the conversation. That's the kind of love that makes a difference. Why? Because Christ has no hands in this world today. Christ has no feet in this world today. It's your hands. It's my hands. It's our feet. We are the hands and feet of Christ to this world. And if you don't know this by now, you should. This is a hurting world. It's a confused world. It's a world that's looking for hope. It's a world that's looking for guidance. And you and I have the ability to be the hands and feet. We are his ambassadors, his representation to this world. This is little Henry. He's a sweetheart, so just endure. People are going to notice. And so the question is, uh, what do we do with this love? How is it distinctive? Because virtue is the moral action that we practice, right? And so the question is, how can we understand the next step as we practice the virtue of love? I'm going to give you three quick points, and then we're going to get out of here. Number one, love values the other person. Love doesn't value you. Love values the other. In everything that we do, love thinks about the other. Now, this is very countercultural. 
In fact, according to the Bible, love is the primary active interest in the well-being of another. That's what love is. Love acts for the benefit of others. According to commentator William Barclay, in his commentary said, he says, love is the spirit in the heart that will never seek anything but the highest good of his fellow man and woman. Love is that thing, according to Barclay, that will never seek anything except for what is better for the other person. That's the epitome of social justice. But it starts with Jesus. It doesn't start with politics. It doesn't start because of, of some new thing. It's always been about Jesus. And it always will be about Jesus. You see, God loved us not because we had something to offer him. He loved us because he valued us. He loves you because he values you. And he knows everything there is to know about you, and he still loves you. He knows today. He knows yesterday. For some of you, he knows your teenage years. He still loves you. I hope John 3.16 never gets old. I hope that never becomes just a washover verse. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He loved first. God loved us to demonstrate the mercy of his son. I was marrying a, a couple several years ago, uh, probably eight years ago now, and I did their premarital counseling, and we were putting together uh, their marriage ceremony, and uh, the groom, if you're watching, uh, the groom uh, came to me and said, hey, like, what do you charge for all this? Like, you did our marriage counseling, you're going to do our wedding, you're coming to the reception, it's taking a lot of time. And I said, you know what? Just pay me whatever she's worth. just to put him on the spot. He bought me a new pair of Converse, which was fine with me. I didn't tell her that, but it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek like, I don't know, what's it worth to you? Sometimes it's healthy to think about that. Think about the loved ones sitting next to you. What are they worth to you? Is there a dollar amount? Is there a possession Think about your kids. Is there anything that you could put a value attached to them? Maybe when they're a pain in the neck, you're like, I don't know, like, give me a coupon to like a restaurant. We'll call it even. You can have my kids. Value. Everyone around us is invaluable to God. Maybe not to you but they are to God. Every single person. And because people matter so much to him, they ought to matter to us. This is where it gets hard. Because we need to love them, not just whatever we can muster, we need to love them the way that God loves them. The bar just keeps getting harder. So that's the first step. Love values the other person. Number two, love is vulnerable to the other person. In other words, love opens up. 
for whatever reason, this is most difficult with guys. I don't know why. But love opens up its life to another person. It gets beyond the sentimental feelings. It gets beyond the guy head nod. It gets beyond the three taps on the back hug. Like it just gets beyond these things. It breaks down barriers and it begins to expose the heart. And think about Jesus. He left the glory of heaven to come to earth. That's quite a culture shock. He took on humanity. And what did that get him? Look at John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Hard enough to leave glory, but then you get to earth, and the people don't even recognize you. Treat you as something else. Uh, imagine if you go away on a business trip or for those of you who are in college, you go away to college and, and you come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas and your family doesn't even recognize you. Like doesn't not, not recognize you because you're taller and you've grown a beard or, you know, whatever, but they literally have no idea who you are. That's similar to what Jesus experienced when he came to earth. And then as Jesus hung on the cross... And as people hurled insults and physical destruction to his being, dying for these people that he loved, scorn and ridicule, his heart was broken and yet he forgave. He was vulnerable. Some of you have caged your heart and protected your heart so much because you don't want it to be hurt. But here's the risk. And I, and I tell teenagers this and young adults this all the time when they begin to start dating. To find true love, you've got to be willing to risk getting your heart stomped on. And love pain, and you all know this, most of you know this, love pain is the worst pain. I'd rather break a bone than experience love pain. Love pain, meaning the broken of a relationship, uh, someone passes away and you don't have the relationship. It just, that is a pain that is beyond words. And some of you know that deeply. But the other risk is finding true love. And so you've got to risk one to find the other. But for some in this room, or if you're watching online, you've caged and protected your heart. But you're also not finding that love. C.S. Lewis writes this in The Four Loves, a great book if you're looking for a new one. Uh, he writes this in his book. To love is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Oh, it will not be broken. Instead, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. But that's not how we were created. We were not created to be safe beings. We were created to love. 
And there will be moments when that love is not reciprocated. It's not given back to us. And yet we love. Why? Because of the example of Jesus. Love is vulnerable to the other. And finally, love costs. Friends, love is going to cost you. If you're willing to go there, love is going to cost you. Love gets its hands dirty. It takes a chance. It steps out on a limb. It, it tries to intervene when a situation requires it and, and you have to be willing to be rejected. But that's what love does. Love takes a gamble. Uh, again, we're not talking mushy-gushy love. We're talking loving as Jesus loved. And that's a risk for a lot of us because no one likes to be rejected. No one likes the awkwardness. No one likes the silence. And yet the call to love. Love makes a statement. It, it leaves a legacy. It does the unexpected, the surprising, the stirring. It does things when not asked of. It goes the extra mile. I think of Lori, who's had several friends that Lori hasn't asked for it. She hasn't sought it out. But she has several friends over the last several years that have had major health crises. And Lori pours herself out until she's empty to love. Receiving nothing in return, not even looking for anything in return. And Lori would stand up here and say, look, I'm the, I'm the worst of these sinners. I know that's her heart. But she would say, but I'm going to love. That's what love does. It performs acts to another one and steals the heart and leaves an impression. And quite often, these acts will never be forgotten, much like the act on the cross. So we, we hear this passage, store up your treasures where? In heaven. in heaven. That is in love. We store up our treasures in heaven by loving God's most precious beings. If you're a parent in this room, one of the greatest things someone could do for you is love your kid. To think the best of your kid, to, to wrap their arms around your kid, to give guidance and truth to your kid, to love your kid. Nothing feels better than when you see another adult loving your child. And it's the same with God. Love one another as I have loved you. This love cost God everything, and it was his plan from the beginning. And yes, we enjoy that now. We enjoy it, that sacrifice both now and for to come, but it cost something. Christian love inevitably carries costs. 
And even when the cost is high, we can nevertheless count on God to bring the fulfillment of that sacrifice. True love always costs. It will always cost you something. If there's no cost, there's no love. It's a good deed. It's nice. But true love, true love involves sacrifice. And in the end, the goal of the Christian life is to love. We, we can have all the answers. We can be right in all the cultural and political disagreements. We can win the argument. We can outwit our neighbor in regards to who to vote for. We can score enough points uh, in the intense competition of, of moral and ethics so that we feel we're right and we can get in our car and we can pat ourselves on the back. But the measure of our Christian maturity is found in our love for God and our love for others. That's where the win is. That's where we hang our hat. But if we fail in our love, we've missed what it means to be a Christian. We've missed what it means to continue to take steps in becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. But there's hope. There's hope because we can't possibly do this on our own. We can't possibly love like this by ourselves. If you try, it's going to be like a New Year's resolution. <laughs> you're doomed. If you try and do this on your own, you're, you're screwed. It's not going to happen. You're going to fail. You might make it a week. You might make it four days. Like, it's not going to happen. But that's why we have the incredible gift of the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that's, that's one of the reasons why we have the Spirit of God, to give us counsel and direction and guidance so that we don't have strength when we are weak. He is what? He is strong. When we're weak, He is strong. When I can't love someone because they're driving me crazy, when I can't turn on the TV and, and not have hateful thoughts on, on an individual, when I can't get together at Thanksgiving meal and Uncle Earl's there every day, Doggone Thanksgiving, there's Uncle Earl. Can't stand Uncle Earl, but I got to love. My neighbor, who doesn't pick up their poop, not their poop, their dog's poop. That's a reason to hate. We love. Let's double down to love your neighbor, to love your enemy to turn the other cheek. You want to measure, you want to gauge if you're doing, if you're accomplishing our mission statement, you want an analytic for that. Is your love growing for the other? It's a really good question. It's a really valuable question to go and take some time and contemplate greatest place to do that is at the table. This table is not just for those who are loving perfectly. Otherwise, no, none of you would get up. 
But this table is for those who want to love perfectly, who want to embrace the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and go, I want to live through that. I want to live in light of that. I don't want to live in light of my 401k. I don't want to live in light of my friends. I don't want to live in light of my accomplishments. I don't want to live in light of me being right. I want to live in light of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So that's why we approach. That's why we then love. And so I want to encourage you as as you approach this table to approach with a humble heart and be asking, God, who am I supposed to love this week? Who who are you going to put in my path? What divine appointments are waiting for me so that I love? If it's easy, it's not the right appointment. If it's super hard and you have to pray through it and you screw up and you do it again and you pray and you pray and you pray, that's the appointment for you. So look for it this week. Let me pray for us. And then if you could approach the tables on the walls and then go back to your seat on the middle, that'll help with a little bit of traffic flow. Uh, But rest, rest, rest in God's presence this morning. Rest in, in, in his presence to speak to you personally. You are not here by mistake. God brought you here so that he could speak to you. Listen to him. And so, God, that's our desire. As we continue to worship, as as we uh, partake in communion, we remember, as the scriptures say, we remember what you did on that night. We remember not only the meal with your disciples, but we remember your death. That loving sacrifice, we remember we remember. It is not forgotten. It is written on our doorposts. It is tied on our hands. It is hung around our neck. We are telling our children, we remember. And we will continue to tell others. We will continue to proclaim it. We will continue to live that out in love, as uncomfortable as it may be. So thanks for the presence of this table. thanks that we have a seat next to you. Despite our circumstances, despite everything we're going through, you are crazy about us. And we submit and surrender before your throne, Jesus Christ. So it's in your name that we have opened the scriptures. It's in your name that we have prayed, that we gather, that we approach. It's always been about you. It always will be. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, we pray these things in thy name.